1 Peter chapter 2. If you have a Bible with you, get it open to that. If you don't, it'll be on the screen behind me. And this is God's word for us this morning. 1 Peter 2. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Would you bow with me? Let's pray. Father, we've already asked for your blessing on your word and the preaching of it through song. We, we can't pray it enough, though. We need your help to taste and see that you're good afresh. For some, we pray that would happen for the first time. They would come to taste and see that you're good in Jesus and in his cross and in salvation in the glorious gospel that we have come to know and believe and rejoice in. We as Christians who have tasted that you're good once, twice, a thousand times, a million times, sometimes even unaware. We pray, Lord, you would let us taste once again and taste through your word. We pray it would be milk to our bones, to our souls. We pray you'd fill us. We pray you'd nourish us. We pray you'd satisfy us. We pray that we would taste and see Jesus, our Savior, in an intimate and personal way. Help us. Build your church. Have your way. May your word do exactly what you have planned for it to do today, Lord. And we pray that would be great things for your glory. And because Jesus is the Savior and the risen one, we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, last week we looked at the end of 1 Peter chapter 1 and then the beginning of 1 Peter chapter 2. I think it was good for us to see the sweep and the flow of those ending verses of chapter 1, the beginning of chapter 2, to see that these verses are all about the Word of God and what it does. So just look down in your Bibles for a refresher or to see it if you weren't here Last week, we saw in verse 23 of chapter 1 that it's the word that gives new life. It's how the the new birth, being born again, happens by the word. And that happens because, verse 24 and 25, the word is uniquely living and lasting. All flesh, all creation is grass. Here today, gone tomorrow, flourishes for a little bit. But God's word is living and it's lasting. That's how it gives life. And that's how that life lasts. But the word of God is also love producing, verse 22 told us. Chapter 2, verse 1 also hints at that. Put away those things that that are enemies of love for each other. Because you have this new birth born from above, born together. You're now brothers and sisters. Act like it in your relationships with each other. And because this word is living and love-producing, we should long for it and continue to live by it like newborns long for milk. I said last week there is much more milk than we can take in in one sitting in these verses. So this week I want to focus on the beginning of chapter 2 and especially verse 2. Like newborn infants, Peter says, long for the pure spiritual milk, the ESV says. The New American Standard, I think, is closer. It says the pure milk of the word. Why is there a difference? Well, the word in the Greek could be translated spiritual or reasonable or rational. But it's also a word that shares the same root as the plain and simple Greek word for word. Logos, you may have heard of that word. Logos, Jesus is the Logos. And Peter has talked about the Logos in earlier verses at the end of chapter 1. And now he uses a slightly different version of that. And he says in chapter 2, verse 2, long for the pure milk of the word. It's all about the word here. Often in scripture, as I said last week, God's word is likened to food or drink. And Bible intake is likened to eating or drinking and And the Bible intake of eating and drinking is likened unto nourishment and satisfaction in our souls. 
Maybe the best Old Testament version of this is Jeremiah 15. In verse 16, the prophet said, Your words were found and I ate them. I devoured them. I ingested them. I took them in my inside. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I'm called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Job 23 similarly talks about God's word being better than food. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. In Psalm 19, the word of God is sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. In Matthew 4, Jesus quotes the Old Testament saying, Men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Almost paints the picture of a a mother bird feeding her baby birds, wide open mouths, words that come from God's mouth and into ours. And that's really what we live on. Well, 1 Peter 2 is tapping into that old tradition of God's word being like food. And yet what Peter does that's unique is that he alone says we should be like babies in this regard. Not babies in every way. No, sometimes baby or child is used as a negative thing in Scripture. We're supposed to grow up. We're supposed to be mature. We're not supposed to be tossed to and fro. But in this one way, we should long for and need the milk of the word, like babies need milk from their mothers. It's a word picture that is as beautiful as it is convicting. It's piercing. It's multi-layered. So let me suggest ten words that may help us think about how Christians with their Bibles is like newborns with milk. Ten words. Alive, first of all. Alive. Babies eat because they're alive. Like newborns long for the milk of the word. Christians must be born. They must be born again, we learned in chapter 1. Born of God. Born again through the living and abiding word, verse 23 said of chapter 1. Which tells us that what brings about the new birth is also the thing that sustains and grows us in new life. But there first must be this birth before there's an eating outside of the birth. There must be first tasting that the Lord is good, like chapter 2, verse 3 says. Notice it's put as a condition. If you have tasted that the Lord is good... If you've tasted that he's good, then keep tasting, keep being fed, keep growing. He's made us to be alive. He's made us to taste. He's made us to eat. He's made us to grow. Now we'll come back to this at the end of the message this morning, but we have to begin here too. We have to begin here because well, some here have no appetite for God's word, despite the fact that you'll endure a 45-minute sermon or so. Um, So you test yourself. Throughout this morning's message, test yourself and see how verse 3 applies to you if you have tasted that the Lord is good. It's not a question. It's not necessarily a test, but it is conditional with that word if, implying some haven't. Maybe you haven't. Maybe You have no appetite for the food of the word because you haven't yet been miraculously born of God, born from above. Maybe it's not a familiar taste to you because you haven't yet tasted the Lord is good in salvation, in the gospel, in Jesus. Test yourself. But the second word that comes to mind as I think about a baby with milk and how it relates to the word of God in a Christian is nourishment. Nourishment. Babies eat because they need nourishment. They need to be sustained. It's essential for life and for growth. Babies are utterly dependent. None of us are self-sustaining. I mean, even adults, we're not self-sustaining. But babies especially are not. If, if human beings in general are needy, if all flesh is like grass, then babies are something more fragile than grass, something more needy and dependent than a flower of the field. And they need serious amounts of nourishment for them to grow like they're supposed to grow. And that's an especially important point to make considering the context of the people to which, people, uh, to which Peter is writing his letter. 
Remember, they're suffering people. They're persecuted people. They're struggling in their faith, perhaps. They're surprised by the suffering going on around them. And so Peter writes to encourage them in the gospel. He, he writes to remind them of what's still to come, that the promises are sure, that their inheritance is in heaven, despite what's been taken away around them. He reminds them, too, of their need for the word. These things are sustained, not by Peter writing his letter once. It's not one and done. It's this ongoing daily nourishment that's needed to buoy yourself up by God's grace under the persecution. For you to flourish in what looks like very non-flourishing circumstances. I think Psalm 1 talks about this. Remember, blessed is the man, blessed, happy, fulfilled is the man who delights in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He delights in it, he meditates on it. When? Day and night. Well, what's he like? He's like a tree that's planted by rivers of water. It brings forth its fruit in its season. It flourishes. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked... They don't like God's law. They don't delight in God's word. And they're like the chaff, which the wind drives away. God's word is meant to be nourishing like a river next to a tree that digs down deep and finds water for its roots. Do you find God's word nourishing? Would you say that? Has it been nourishing to your soul at times throughout the years? Has it been nourishing in times of trouble? Is it instinctive for you to go to God's word when your soul feels weary, when the roots feel dry, when it looks like you're about to be blown over, you feel like chaff being blown away? Where do you go? Hopefully you know to dig down deep, to go to his word, to be planted in that like a tree next to the water of his word. Do you know where to go in his word to find comfort? In Psalm 119, you see this so often, again and again. It has 176 verses. It's the biggest chapter, if you can call it that, in the Bible. And it's all about the Bible. It's, it's a love poem about the Bible to God, through the Bible, in the Bible. It's wonderful. And one of the things it does over and over again is it, it says, sustain me through your word. Help me through your word. Help me to see in your word. Show me in your word. It's just all over. It's where we go for comfort. The psalmist there said that he got weary eyes. His eyes failed from searching God's word as he prayed, when will you comfort me? That's the kind of wrestling with the Bible that we need. That's someone who knows there's nourishment in the Bible, hasn't yet found it in the Bible. He hasn't yet found that spot where he goes, ah, roots watered, leaves green. He hasn't found it yet, but he's looking, and his eyes are weary in looking, saying, when will you comfort me? Go to that place in Scripture when you need comfort. There's a guy who models looking for it as good as anybody in Scripture. Thirdly, think of the word growth. Like nourishment, babies eat because they're supposed to grow. And Peter makes this explicit. He says, long for the spiritual milk of the word so that you grow up into salvation. You grow up. This is how we grow up. Why does he say grow up into salvation, though? We think salvation is, you know, getting saved. It's the gospel being received. It's now becoming a Christian, being converted, being born again. Yeah, but sometimes salvation is something longer than that. It's not just that moment in time when you became a Christian, moved from darkness to light, were born from above, started to believe. But salvation is the Christian life. So Paul in Philippians 2 says, work out your salvation. It's already come to you. But it hasn't yet come in its fullness. It's being worked out into new pockets and corners of your life. Peter, in his next letter, 2 Peter, ends it by saying, grow in grace. Well, we grow in grace. We get more of it? Yeah, in a sense, not really. But we grow in it, in the implications of it, in the experience of it, in the reality of it. We grow up 
into that final salvation that Peter's been talking about. Three times in the chapter before, Peter has talked about salvation or grace as something that comes at the end when Jesus returns, right? It's a salvation that's ready to be revealed. It's a grace that will be shown to you at the coming of Jesus. A salvation for the last days. That's what he means. We grow up into our glorification. We've been justified. Those whom he justified, he will one day glorify. He'll complete it. We are right now given this commission. Grow up into your glorification. Oh, at the end, I know he'll microwave the whole thing and it'll just exponentially go off the charts. You'll go from kind of sanctified to actually glorified. But in the meantime, we're starting to grow into glorification shoes by God's grace. What a lofty calling. And it happens through the word. Any growth is word growth. Jesus prayed like this in John 17. He prayed for his disciples living and ones that would come, including you and me. And he said, Father, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them. Make them holy by your truth. The truth of your word. Romans 12 tells us that we're to transform our minds with renewing our minds. How do we renew our minds, though? With God's word. Or 2 Corinthians 3 says we're changed into Christ's likeness by beholding Christ. You become what you behold, so behold him and not silly idols. But how do we behold Christ? He's not here. He's not in Jerusalem. He certainly doesn't mean a painting. We behold Christ in his word. That's why sometimes it's called the word of Christ. That's how we grow. But growth usually happens slowly, doesn't it? Usually we can't see growth happen. You see yourself every day. When you're a kid, you don't see yourself grow. You don't notice any growth. You look in the mirror, it looks the same as yesterday. and Maybe the same with mom and dad. They don't see growth, but Grandma and Grandpa show up from out of town. They haven't seen you in six months. And the first thing they say is, My, how you've grown! And they take you over to that spot in the pantry where they mark your head with a pencil and put a date next to it. And sure enough, you've grown an inch and a half since they were last here. But you didn't see it day by day as a parent. You didn't hear the sound and go, Is that? You did grow! It's not like that. And we keep growing as Christians like this. We grow and we keep growing little by little. Now, for a a kid, eventually you become an adult and you stop growing. You even start to shrink. The only way you can grow eventually is horizontally, less than ideal. Physically, we don't keep growing. But Peter is telling us, you Christians, you're always babes. You keep growing. You keep growing. You always need to grow. It's never done. Not everyone grows at the same time. Not everyone has their spurts at the same time. Not everyone grows in the same areas in the same way. Not everyone grows at the same rate. Jesus made this clear when he talked about the four soils, that parable. And he said in that final soil, it's the real thing. The word of God takes root. There's fruit that grows up, some 30-fold, some 60-fold, and some 100-fold. Meaning, some Christians really transform fast, quickly, suddenly, and surprisingly. And, And some are more steady, but they're there nonetheless. It's growth. His point is that all Christians bear fruit. All Christians do grow. And all growth is... Through the word. Whatever else God uses to grow you as a Christian, he uses the word as an instrument within that. So yes, you could say, Christians grow with the church, with their brothers and sisters. True, yes. But with the word in the church. You say, well, Christians grow as they're convicted of sin. Yes, but what cuts and convicts and exposes? But the word of God, that's how we grow. Peter makes it clear. Just like babies grow from mom's milk, that's how Christians grow with the word of God. So the growth is natural, and it's inevitable, but it's also work. You could say, ah, a baby gets 
bigger, doing nothing, just laying there. Yeah, but something's happening. You don't get bigger by laying there. You get bigger by eating, right? The nutrients come in. Even looking down at your mid-region, it's maybe grown in the last 10 years or so, and someone would say, how'd that happen? You could tell them, one meal at a time. One bad choice at a time. One smile after the other. Right? Something happened. You might not think you worked on that thing you got there, but you did in a sense. And Christians are to work on their growth. We grow by eating as Christians. And as Christians, we can't be gluttons of the word. And we never become uselessly obese from the growth that the word produces. We get more and more healthy and somehow leaner. And think about this. You don't grow by focusing on growth. No kid stands at that mark on the wall and just says, I'm going to wait here until I can do another line. Want some food? No, I'm waiting here until I can do another line. I'm going to wait till I grow. If you focus on growth, you don't grow. It works like that with the Christian life as well. We focus on the food, not on growth. Growth is a byproduct of the food. We grow not by staring at growth. We grow by staring at the word. Fourth, appetite. Appetite. Babies eat because they have this instinctual, natural appetite. They, they didn't come out with a manual. They didn't need to be told, here's what you look for. They didn't need to be told, here's what it smells like. Here's what you do. Eating is instinctive and natural, and hence the longing for it is instinctive and natural. Peter says, long for the pure milk of the word. That's a command. It's the main command of the passage. In fact, verses 1 through 3 in the Greek are all one sentence. So even the stuff that came before in verse 1, it looks like a command in the ESV. It looks like it's one sentence by itself. But, but literally in the Greek, it's putting away all malice and all other kinds of bad stuff. Long for the pure milk of the word. As you're putting these things away, here's what you're longing for. If you've tasted that the Lord is good. It's an intense kind of longing that he's talking about. It's an intense word that he uses here. It's a similar word to the Hebrew word that's used in Psalm 42. Remember that? As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you, O God. You probably haven't seen a deer panting for the water brook, but you can imagine what it looks like, and you can imagine what that would be like. We've all seen babies, though, that are longing for their mother's milk. I said that last week. We've all seen it with fear and trembling. What dad here doesn't remember the first time you were left alone with the new baby? Your wife said, I'll be back in three hours. Just fed her. I'll be back in time for the next feeding. I promise. And you went, okay. The first hour or two went fine. Two and a half hours go by. The baby's growing less content. You were having a great time trying to imitate all three stooges at once to get her to laugh, and that's not working anymore for some reason. She's distracted. She seems antsy. The knee bounce isn't working. What's happening? Three hours is here. The, the clock is ticking like, you know, the end of 24. Bonk, 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 bonk. So slow. <sighs> First time, last time, right? Ten minutes more. You're wondering at what age someone can be demon-possessed. <laughs> it's an intense longing and a fixed focus that your court gesturing just won't distract her from. Right? Now, we adults get hungry, but not like that. We adults have really calmed down in our hunger department. We've chilled out. We're, we're now much less intense about our hunger than that. We can even easily forget that we should have eaten. We can go a half hour on either side of lunch. Something gets busy at work and something comes up that's big and, and, and oops, I, I didn't eat. Then you know to eat, right? Eventually something kicks in. Some of you have skipped meals before, not on purpose. I haven't. 
But some of you have. No infant has, not on purpose, not because they didn't notice. Well, we should have that kind of longing for the Bible. And we should be convicted by a lack of longing for the Bible that resembles anything like this. We should be convicted by any lack of desire that's like this because this longing should be natural. Remember, it's rooted in having tasted that God is good in Christ. Then it should be natural and instinctual. And yet, Peter also puts it in the form of a command. He says, long for it. It's a command. He could have written this as a description. Christians do this thing. They long for the Bible. That's in other parts of the Bible. It's true. First John tells us this. We believe and we like God's word. We abide in his word because we first believe. John 8 talks about that. Peter could have done the same here, but he didn't. He puts it in the form of a command. And he's commanding us not just to do something, but to desire something. Long for it. You feel desperate about that? Long for it. Like someone said, long to move to Rio Rancho. You might say, "Uh, well, how do you do that? Uh, What? Okay, okay, I'll try. I'll, I'll start to. I'll look at pictures of it. But here, God's word says that we should long for God's word. And it almost feels like an impossible command. Yeah, like only God can give it. And yet it's still a genuine command, which means that this longing is something that can be cultivated and worked on. Not just working on our reading of God's word, working on our longing for God's word. It's not the same. But let it be a comfort to you that Peter anticipates that we don't long for God's word enough. He tells us that we should focus on it, obey it, try to do it, long for it more. And how do we long for it more? We long for it more by reading it. You have to taste some in order to keep wanting more. Read it, read it over and over, read it here and there, put it everywhere. Memorize it, hear it, listen to it in your car. Put it on your iPod for free. Talk of it. Get it all around your life. Read it. Pray for help to long for it. Again, Psalm 119 is so great at this. Help me to see. Keep my eyes from beholding worthless things and awaken me to your word. Pray for his help because he has to be the one that really gives this kind of longing. Just like, just like how he makes babies long for milk. And we preach to ourselves. We pray for his help. We read it. And we preach to ourselves what it is and what it does. And again, Psalm 119 does all these so well. A fifth word is routine. Routine. Babies eat regularly. They're on a steady diet. Their meals are routine. And when that routine is broken, they let us know. Their clocks are very precise. And they're the happiest and the healthiest when food is consistent. So we cultivate a longing for God's word and a comfort in the consistency of God's word by being routine, by being steady in our diet. Irregular eating starves us spiritually. Our spiritual bellies start to shrink. Our hunger pains start to wane. Our our stomachs stop growling. Have you ever fasted long enough to know that that happens? I mean, day one, two, or three in a fast, and you could possibly eat your friend. They look like that giant pork chop in the cartoons. You just see them like that. That's all you see. They're, They're a pork chop with eyeballs. But day four, day five, day six... Hunger pains stop. The the stomach stops hurting, stops growling. You have more time than you used to. You have more energy than you used to for now. You feel like you're doing fine. You're surprised why more people don't do this. You start judging people who are eating delicious things like no self-control. They don't know how much you can get done if you just cut out food. 
You don't even have to meet with people while they eat. Well, we Christians, we sometimes fast like that from God's word. And we're temporarily thinking that this feels right. This is okay. I can get by. Your stomach has shrunk, though. The hunger pains, which were good, have gone, gone away. You feel like you're doing well. But aren't you then also surprised sometimes when you do take a little bite of Scripture and it doesn't sit well? Or, or you're surprised that the smell of rich spiritual food makes you a little queasy? Or surprised that a million other things go down more smoothly than the milk of the Word, which now seems to have bones in it? We shouldn't be surprised. But routine keeps us from that. Temporary fasting from food may be okay for our bodies or good for our bodies, but temporary fasting from the Bible is not good for your soul. Don't get used to a Bibleless existence. Remember that movie with Tom Hanks some years back called Castaway? He was on a deserted island for several years and Imagine you go through that kind of experience and imagine you're there as a Christian and you don't have a Bible with you. Not in any form, not in printed form, not on your iPhone, not on your iPad, nothing. Imagine getting rescued years later. And like Tom Hanks in the movie, his friends ask, well, how was it? How bad was it? What, was, what were some of the hardest things? What would you say? Would you say... Well, it was stinking hard making fire. I got really excited when that happened. It was really hard being alone. You know, I've made friends with a volleyball. <laughs> Guilty. Uh, fishing was hard for a while. My feet were bleeding. And, you know, would it even come up that you didn't have a Bible with you? Would it even come up that it was hard for you to not have a Bible there? Maybe a good, godly Christian friend would put these two together and think of that and ask, wasn't that hard not having a Bible with you? What would you have to say? Would you say, honestly, eh? No, not really. I mean, in some ways it was easier because there wasn't the guilt. Let's hope not. Let's pray not. Hopefully it would be a very unnatural thing for us to wake up in a Bible-less life. Or a church, for that matter. Suppose we couldn't meet together. Would you say, Sunday morning's free and guilt-free? Or, oh, I feel dry. Well, moving along in the second half more quickly than the first, the sixth word that comes to mind is solitary. Newborns are solitary in their diet. It's a milk-only diet. Like newborn babes long for the milk of the word, not milk and something. Milk is enough for a newborn. It's not only enough, it's perfect. It's just what they need. Peter talked about the pure milk of the word. He means they're unadulterated, no additives, no sneaky milk. What's sneaky milk? Well, people would add stuff to milk. It wouldn't be all milk. You'd sell it for, uh, for more of a profit if you could add a little bit to it. Our craving for the word should be a craving for the pure milk of the word, the unadulterated milk of the word, the no additives kind of milk of the word. I think what Peter means here is that our craving for this should be greater than any other craving, like what a baby craves, it craves milk. You should crave for the word of God. Singularity, solitarity in this diet. We Christians, we know about other cravings. We still have them, right? Some of them are good and natural, okay, but probably need to be subdued or redirected at times. We have a craving for security. We have a craving for love. We have a craving for success or things to work. We have a craving for beauty, I think Peter's saying, let all those cravings be as though there are no cravings whatsoever. Because babies don't. They don't crave success. They don't know. They don't crave anything. They crave milk. But they might grow thereby. Remember that story in Luke 10? Mary and Martha were hosting Jesus in the home. And Martha was hard at work in the kitchen while Mary sat 
undistracted at Jesus' feet. He's probably teaching, she's learning, she's listening, she's receiving, and receiving eagerly. And Martha begins to stew. And not just the food, she begins to get angry. So she says to Jesus, we've all done this, right? Why don't you tell her to come help me? Tell her, no one's helping me in here. You said that in the backyard or in the garage or in the kitchen. How come no one's helping me? How come I'm the only one that does this? We all understand what Martha was getting at, but Jesus corrects Martha and not Mary. He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Just let that ring out in your ears. One thing is necessary. In a, in a to-do list, right at the top, one thing is necessary. When you're tempted for the word of God to get squeezed out by a busy day, one thing is necessary. Martha was cooking food for Jesus. That's a big deal. But it wasn't the most important thing. Mary had chosen the good portion or the better thing, and it will not be taken away from her. God's word is not just good, but it's sufficient. It's everything we need for life and godliness. The seventh word is deep. Babies drink deeply from their mother. Remember, Peter talks about pure milk of the word unadulterated milk of the word. The thing that people would use most to dilute their water or their milk was water. They'd water it down and sell it for the same price. Peter saying, none of that. No watered down milk here. We want milk full strength. We want whole milk. We want raw milk. Now, maybe you've been wondering this all the way through this week and last week. Let me clarify something. When Peter talks about milk, he doesn't mean milk like it's the simplistic teaching of the word, even though Hebrews 5 makes that distinction. Hebrews 5 says, you should be on to the meat of God's truth now, and sadly, you're just on milk. And when Peter talks about you being like an infant, he doesn't mean that as a derogatory thing, like you're just a kid. You're an infant. We shouldn't be an infant. Yeah, I know. Paul talks about 1 Corinthians 3. You shouldn't still be infants, but you should be grown-ups by now. But Peter isn't using the words milk or infant like that. He's just painting a picture of a baby, taking a snapshot of a baby and saying, every Christian is to be like this. Learn from this. The baby is needy and hungry and nourished by its mom. You too, with the word of God. Proof of that is that he says, drink pure milk or deep milk. No fooling around. Babies don't fool around. They latch on. They let go when they're full, when they're milk drunk. Do you call that at your house? Maybe it's something we only say in our house, or maybe that's a common phrase. I don't know, but we, we like to talk about babies who are milk drunk. They... they they eventually like let go, and a little bit of milk comes out of the corner of their mouth, and they look like that. And it's the calmest they'll ever be apart from sleep the rest of their life. <laughs> milk drunk. And there's a physiological reason for why that happens. It's called hind milk. Eventually, the milk gets fattier and fattier the more they drink. Exponentially, they get more and more full and satisfied, the milk gets better. Christians, long for the hind milk of God's word. Long for the strong milk, the raw milk. Don't settle for some watered-down stuff. That means don't have a superficial view of God's word. Don't buy into things like a verse a day keeps the devil away. There are all kinds of great devotionals you might use, many which I have in my house and use regularly. One of my favorites is uh, Charles Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. A, a verse or half a verse at the top of the page and then a comment from Spurgeon on that verse for the rest of the page. It's great. But 
I don't think that's exactly deep and full diet of God's word like Peter's painting for us here. I don't think that was meant to be like that. I think Spurgeon himself would want you to read more than his half of the verse for the day. He said so. He says, oh, that you and I might get into the very heart of the word of God and get that word into ourselves as I've seen the silkworm eat into the leaf and consume it, so ought we to do with the word of the Lord. Not crawl over its surface, but eat right into it until we've taken it into our inmost parts. It is idle merely to let the eye glance over the words or to recollect the poetical expressions or the historical facts, but it's blessed to eat into the very soul of the Bible. The Puritans used to talk about praying until you've prayed. I think you know the difference, right? There's praying, and then there's like this thing that hits. It's sort of like the, the stride that a runner gets, the runner's high. At some point, you pray like you're praying. Well, we should do the same with the Word of God. We should read until we read, until we see. We should read until we've been read. I think this also has implications for the church and for our corporate meetings. If we're talking about hind milk here that we long for and drink from and are nourished by, then that has something to say about the preaching of God's word here and why we do what we do, why we go slowly through verses, why we pick them apart and we point out a preposition at times. God forbid. You see, God's word should be dispensed not with a lot of water, not with... 31 flavors in addition to milk, not with a lot of fillers, mixers, not with a dog and pony show so you don't notice that you're actually drinking milk. That's an insult to God's word. God's word is what it is. A preacher may go slower than he should through God's word, but God's word says what it says, and a preacher should say what it says. He should preach him, not himself, but the Bible. It's an insult to your intelligence to do otherwise, by the way. If I can just be honest with you, I, I think you probably underestimate your capabilities with the Word of God. You're fine looking through a manual how to, how to work your new coffee maker that has a billion buttons. Right? You know how to work your remote. Not at first, but you learned how. Now you can do it in the dark. All right? Some of you do your own taxes. Some of you know investments. Some of you study politics. Some of you want to figure out what's going on with this or with that. Some of you are into home decor. Some of you do gardening and you read, you look, you solve problems. At your work, there's this problem. What do you do? Well, you're a manager. You've got to solve the problem. You put your head to it for two weeks. You come up with a plan. You run with it. Then you troubleshoot it. But too often with our Bibles, we clam up. Too often with our Bibles, we think, I didn't go to seminary. I don't know what Ryan would say about that. I, I, I don't know. Close it up and wait for Sunday. Oh, there's so many resources available these days. We'll do a blog post later this week pointing you the direction of all kinds of different helps at different levels for different people to seek to apply this message. The eighth word is that God's word is personal. And a baby's milk is personal. A baby on its mother's breast isn't all business, but it's intimate. It's personal. Ask any breastfeeding mom, and that feeding time isn't just convenience. It's not just food. It's not just dispensary. It's intimate. It's personal. It's bonding. And with the word of God, we have to remember always that it's God who feeds us, and he feeds us intimately and personally. It is God's word. It's not just information. It's not just getting through like you can check a, a box at the end and, and be satisfied and done. The milk, we could say, is actually a person. You've tasted that the Lord is good. So taste of the milk of the word. You've tasted of him. That we're not just after eyes rolling over more Bible words on these thin pages. Do you know that Jesus rebuked the religious leaders in John 5 because they thought the Bible worked like that? They thought it was through osmosis. More in, better off. 
But he said, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. That doesn't sound like a bad statement. You search the scriptures because in them you think there's eternal life. But they miss what the eternal life was all about and who it came from. They bear witness about me and you refuse to come to me that you may have life. They thought there was salvation in eyes rolling over words. So they thought they were really saved. So saved they had a Bible box on their forehead. Seriously. Jesus says you're lost. Friend, it's possible for you to be regular in your Bible reading but have never tasted of salvation. Test yourself. We commune by beholding him. So we don't just take the Bible down because it's good for us like it's some nasty medicine. We sit and we soak until it's sweet. If it's not sweet, it's not the Bible's fault. It's that our taste buds are off. It's that we have too much other stuff filled in our bellies. We've been holding worthless things. We want him and nothing less. Another word, though, number nine, is familial. Familial, family-like. Now, here's where the analogy breaks down slightly, but I think it's still legitimate to say. Eating is familial for adults, right? Hopefully you eat with your family on a regular basis. It's not with babies. Babies don't usually eat together. So that's where the analogy breaks down. But don't forget, Peter's talking about Bible eating in this whole context of loving each other. Love like brothers, he said in chapter 1, verse 22. At the beginning of this chapter, he said, put away those things that get in the way of love for each other. And the Bible is not something other than loving people. It's the means through which we show our love to each other. Oh, sure, be nice, not malicious. Be kind, not envious. But how do we show our kindness? What's the instrument by which others grow? If we want them to grow, if we love them spiritually, not just relationally. If we love them spiritually, then the word will permeate these relationships. There'll be a familial aspect to the word of God in the church and in the life of the church. Don't miss the fact that from chapter 1, verse 22, all the way to chapter 2, verse 10, you could call this section Christians in Community. We'll see next week. We're being built together to make up a spiritual temple for the presence of God. It's all about community. And right there, sandwiched in the middle, is long for the milk. Implication, long for the milk together. Eat together. Distribute together. Pass around and stir up together. This tasting should be contagious. Like it is when you go to a restaurant and you get that surprise dessert. You didn't know. It was a gamble. You take one bite. And you go, what? Do you, do you pick it up, walk away quietly, and then devour it in the bathroom? You're not getting any of this. They don't know. No. Something's in us to want to share it. We say, you got to taste this. Why are we wanting to share? We only have this little slice, but we're willing to share with someone. Because uh, there's something catchy about taste and desire and joy. We want others to join in with us. We're made to be like that. So when we taste of God's word, we should talk about it with each other. We should say, I found a morsel. God sustained me yesterday with this milk. Taste and see that he's good through this. And lastly, back to where we started. Tenth word is familiar. God's word and the milk of the word should be familiar to us. Remember verse 3 gave us that condition, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. God's word should be the means by which we first heard that gospel news and embraced it and became born again. God's word should be familiar to us as Christians because again and again and again he's nourished us. He's fed us. He sustained us. He fills us. He satisfies us. He loves us through it. He communicates to us. The Word of God shows us God. The Word of God shows us ourselves. It should be a familiar taste to us. Like some know the, the difference between Coke and Pepsi with one drop on the tongue. Right? 
Some know the smell of Starbucks before they see the white and green cup. They know the brand. They know it well. Some know an actor's voice in a commercial where he's not seen. You can just tell. You've heard it enough. That's Matt Damon. How do you know? You've heard it. You've heard it. I hope God's word is familiar to you. Like coming back home to your own bed after a week of travel. I love coming home after being gone. My bed is ten times better than every bed I've ever stayed at at any hotel. They're always hard or lumpy or something. I don't know. Hotels smell weird. They, they sound weird. Weird noises. The, my fan isn't there. I come home. My people. My smells, for better or worse. My bed. It's familiar. Hopefully God's word to you is familiar. May we long for Bibles that look like well-worn catcher's mitts, are marked up, loved, have tear stains in them, crisp pages, extra markings from little kids because it's laying around so much, it's going to be one of the first things they accidentally write in. Maybe so. It's no trifle for you, Moses said, it's your life. These words are no trifle for your life. Now, maybe you don't crave God's word anywhere near like this, and maybe that's simply because you don't have the real thing. Maybe you never had it. Maybe you're not born from above. Maybe you haven't tasted that the Lord is good in a saving way. If so, today, come to him. Call out to him. See that he's precious and sweet and saving to your soul. That he alone is this hope for you. Look outside yourself, perhaps for the first time, to see that he alone can give this new birth and he alone can produce this taste and he alone can increase this longing. Read the Bible with someone until you see. Pray for his help until you see, until you truly taste that he's good and good in Jesus and the gospel. But maybe you are a Christian. You've truly been born from above. You've tasted and seen that he's good. Boy, you've forgotten that what that taste is like. You're sin sick and your stomach is folded in on itself. And so there are no grumblings, no hunger pains. You're content to go without it, but you can't keep going. Christian, give in. You can't keep going. Turn yourself in. Bow before him, repent and weep and mourn that you've turned aside to worthless things and have sustained yourself with them and not his word. Pray, pray for his help. Seek help from others and resolve to give yourself to the word of the Lord and to the Lord of the word. May we all grow in this. We're supposed to grow in this. May we grow in this. Starting with that resolve way back in Deuteronomy 6 that these words would be on our hearts and we would teach them diligently to our children and we would talk of them when we sit in our house, when we go by the way and when we lie down and when we rise up. That we would write them on our doorposts and our gates, sticky notes everywhere, Bible verses, reminders everywhere. Why? That you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul with all your might. And Jesus in the New Testament added, and with all your mind. May it be so, for Jesus' sake, for his glory and for our good.